My name is Dwayne Default, and welcome to Selling SaaS, a podcast that's built to get you the best advice from the top experts for go-to-market strategies, sales, and product-led growth. Now let's get into today's episode. I, you know, I'll have to agree with you on that one. I think of all of the companies that I've worked with, done work for, been employed at, the I think the number one issue has either been ego or impatience and unfortunately the combination of those two you can go back to market current market economic situations you can go back to a vc funding doesn't matter the world is always the our history is cyclical you can plan as much as you want but you can never you know you can never anticipate the future but the only thing you can control is like your approach to it and then your time horizon to success and oftentimes oh my gosh like i've when I got into more of the business world a little over a decade ago, everything was about what's your 10 year approach. And now we have conversations like, cool, what's your, what's your 30, 60, 90. Uh, and I'm like, cool for a ramp. They're like, no, for increasing conversions, doubling our ACVs and hiring people. I'm like, you're kidding, right? Like that you may get impact on one of those inside of 90 days, but all three of them to do all of it, it's like that. That's insane. Like we we're we're in such a culture in an environment where no one has patience to allow quality to come to fruition. Everyone wants fast. They don't care about cheap because they're going to go print more money to dump into these companies to go and compete against each other. And it, it's it's an we're we're sitting in a in a consequence and a result of our own creation. And what's crazy is it's every. It, you can look all over LinkedIn all day long and you'll constantly see conversations around layoffs and declining and all that stuff. But if you just get outside of this little VC backed bubble, it's like there's plenty of tech companies out there that are servicing direct to the consumer that they're like, what recession? It's, it's, we, we need to pull ourselves out and start focusing on the businesses that actually have an impact on the businesses that we serve. You know, I, I did an episode podcast with Kevin Dorsey. We were talking about privilege problems. Like we had a huge, a, a huge influx of these apps that don't really solve a primary problem, but we just had an idea. Someone wanted to go get some money. And then, so they're like, Hey, go grow, go grow that thing in 18 months and we'll go sell it for a profit. But it's like, all of the, I just had a conversation before this as well. I was late to the call. Again, appreciate the patience on that. We were talking about the difference in the way businesses are ran. There's the loss of interest in what's called old school business when it just means focusing on the relationship and the experience of your recipient. And it, it, that's where I feel like product led growth came from. That's where I, it's, it's interesting when you look at the hiring processes, the ramp times have gone from, like you said, six to nine months down to like four to six weeks, you know, regardless of if they're new to the industry, new to the domain, whether or not they actually feel capable and qualified to be able to do that. Yeah. You're spot on. Yeah. And, and if they're not hitting those benchmarks, they're like, okay, bye. We'll get someone else to come and fill that seat. It's like, well, wait a minute. Like, you got to have the patience. You have to have the curiosity. You have to have the actual urge to empower and impact your team to get the companies that, oh, you're not just going to go find, you're not going to go pluck them out of a field in the middle of Wisconsin to, you know, and implement into your company instantly have an impact. Even the best C-level people, the best, most successful sales, they, they need time to acclimate. And it's, it's really unfortunate because we're just perpetuating the same story. We are constantly, like we're causing the results and we're just not doing, I feel like we're not doing enough to stop the bleeding. Hot on garbage in garbage out. Right. Yeah. And it's like you, 
I, I swear you must really watch what I'm putting out there on LinkedIn because Dwayne, we are literally speaking the same language. I'm constantly talking about the more we try and just have the super cool idea, just for the sake of a super cool idea, this bright, shiny gadget gizmo doodad, I don't care what it is that you're selling. If there isn't a critical pain that you're looking to solve for, and you really understand exactly who has that problem and who cares about it most, and you know how to speak to that psychological language, I'm sorry. Like you might as well not even aspire to 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 build something. So many people are leading with something that is bright, shiny, gadgety, and gizmo-y. I'm sorry. Like you, you can look at LinkedIn. There's no shortage of really cool engineering talent. But that's not that that's not going to be long term sustainable unless you really understand exactly what is the fundamental need that this better be solving. What's at stake if this problem goes unresolved? It's then and only then that you're going to be able to open the doors to the public. Go solve a real problem. Go solve a problem that actually prevents companies and people from growing. And yeah, it, we can go on an extreme tangent like that. But oh, I know. Dwayne, all I'm saying in my head right now, preach, preach, preach. So don't tempt me. Okay, I could too. <laughs> right? Like as we're kind of seeing the writing on the wall, hopefully more and more companies are. And you shared some interesting information with me about a Gartner study recently about the anticipated increase of budget for enablement. I've been having a lot of conversations with people around enablement, sales enablement, revenue enablement, whatever. And your your approach towards it, kind of our whole conversation has kind of led to the concept of enablement. Like where, why do you think Gartner, for example, or why do you think companies are just now starting to lean more on the enablement conversation? Well, I think it's long overdue. Unfortunately, I think that your people are starting to wake up and realize that do what you've always done, get what you've always got, right? So if you've constantly brought in a whole bunch of sellers, you churn through those really quick and you treat your people like commodities. I'm sorry, that's not going to bode well. People aren't going to give you their best work product. Why? Because <laughs> they were never bought into you in the first place. You didn't you know, make it psychologically safe to give a path to excellence. And I think that's what enablement is. It is being able to tap into each individual role within a given company, say, hey, this is everything you're going to need in order to really demystify what excellence looks like, here's your quickest path to get there. That's what good enablement should be, is understanding the universal vision coming into a company, understanding the good, the bad, the ugly, what's it going to take in order to equip people within a unified go-to-market direction. And even if you don't support go-to-market directly, everything in the organization, if you... I'm sorry, like if you're not growing, you're shrinking. So even if you work in finance, even if you work in IT security, even if you're not directly in go-to-market we all have a critical understanding of what's at stake if our engine, which is what revenue is, it's the engine that propels a company. If you're not growing, I'm sorry, the writing will be on the wall shortly. It's important that enablement comes in and sets a strategic vision that says, hey, this is what it is that we're looking to solve. This is our win zone. This is how we do it better than anybody else. This is what's at stake for our customer if they don't understand the ramifications, if these problems spiral out of control. When you start to educate the entire organization of the critical importance of why, and you help demystify what success, and you enable true excellence in each role that's going to support the organization as a whole, it's holistic enablement. And I think that that's another reason why I kind of, you know, I don't think that my boss formally changed my title at work, but when I was hired to head up global, you know, sales enablement, I re-termed 
my title, if you look on my LinkedIn, I call it revenue enablement. The reason being you support the entirety of the organization and what it's going to take. Cause it's not just being able to razzle dazzle someone today. Their cost of a customer acquisition is going to go right out the window unless you help understand and demystify what does excellence look like in the eyes of our customer in perpetuity. So they're a long-term partner of ours. They're not just here today, gone tomorrow. We can't just rely on rip and replace and the stickiness of something being painful enough to keep someone around. That's not a good value prop, by the way. You need to keep someone feeling like they're a valued partner in perpetuity. Otherwise, forget it. So enablement, as far as I see it, is companies are starting to come to the realization that what they've always done is not working. The problem still is, even though Gartner claims that we're going to see a rise by as much as 50% in the space, guys, it's so still so inadequately resourced. I'm currently a department of one. For an organization that has been stuck at Series B status for 21 years, we are looking to resurrect and bring about Bamboo Rose 2.0. I think we're going to do it. That being said, with over 200 people within our organization supporting some of the biggest retailers all across the world, they're all in our portfolio. Like we, We've got a ton of really good things going in our direction, and yet I'm the solo resource, me. Uno. <laughs> what happens like if my daughter needs me and she has a sick day like she had yesterday? Well, it's crazy. The the article, you know, published early February was talking about that increase by 2027. It's like that. I feel like that's a, a long time for this to come to fruition. If, if we as an organ, as we as an industry wait and slowly ramp that up, there's going to be so many companies that are just like a flash in the pan, if not even a big enough flash, because they're not like an, I feel like it just should be head of enablement because when we look at the terms, I feel like enablement originated in like sales ops and then rev ops. And they're like, oh, this is where all the insights come. Oh, now it's going to be sales enablement. But then. Oh, and then your product marketing. Exactly. Exactly. So then it's a revenue enablement. Like, oh, and then the engineering and product team don't want to listen because they're not part of revenue teams because they've never been told that like, wait a minute, you're the foundation of how revenue is acquired because you build, maintain, develop, make the product sexy for people to buy. It's like if product and engineering are not included in go-to-market conversations or at least given the insights and the results and all, so it don't have to be part of the planning, but it's like, it just needs to be enablement and enablement isn't a reactionary role. Like you were, you, you said a couple sec, couple minutes ago where you're giving the strategy, you're giving the insights. You're not there to receive the request or the ticket from a member of the sales team saying they need an article written about this. It's like, no, 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 you, you, you and enablement and, and add some context here if, if you feel so inclined, but it's like enablement should be operating six months ahead, like where, where do you see enablement or where, where do you, how do I ask this question? Where should enablement be sitting at an organization from your experience? Oh God, <laughs> that is such, because every organization we're, we're going against a moving target that has never been properly defined, first of all. So enablement is basically defined as kind of a catch-all at any given organization based on whatever they feel Again, and it's the blind leading the blind, right? But whatever they think they need. And I think that there's a lot of enablers, unfortunately, that they haven't been given proper education for in order to have the big macro micro focus it's going to take to see the overall strategic vision and all of the minutia it's going to take in order to move the needle measurably over a given process. So in my opinion, and again, I'm just one, but if I'm on my soapbox, I'm going to call it 
it's an operational role. It really should be going to the COO, in my opinion. Currently, I report into the CRO, and that's also a very good alignment because obviously I help to power the revenue engine. But I think that that's also a bit short-sighted, in my humble opinion, only because there are so many individuals that are going to feel disenfranchised or that they just they just don't have what they need unless it somehow touches revenue directly. We have so many partnerships across the organization that frankly, that is really not the case. In my humble opinion, it really does need to be a strategic operational role. It needs to have multiple facets because if you're going to only have one cook in the kitchen and you don't have the line cooks necessary to support a table of 200. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love cooking shows, by the way. But think about Gordon Ramsay. How many people does he have in a given brigade? How, like he has one person just on, you know, peeling the spinach off of a vine, you know, in order to help the appetizer manager. Like that's the problem with enablement right now is it's seen as a highly reactive role. And I think that's what Gartner is seeing too, is yeah, we're going to see an increase in 50% over the next four years. Well, is that still like, it's just more a little bit of Band-Aid on a massive wound to quote, I'm sorry, former musician. So lover of music over here, Taylor Swift says, Band-Aids don't fix bullet holes. Oh my gosh. How true is that? That's funny. How true is that? And I think that's the problem with enablement. We've got a big wound. We can't keep hodgepodging and cobbling together broken Band-Aids. You are only weakening a really bad foundation in the first place. So to tie this all together, enablement takes time, which requires patience, which also requires you as a leader of an organization to get out of the way because your enablement team should be in the weeds, should be listening to calls, should be in product release standups to understand where the potential gaps are. But it takes time. It takes, it could take six, nine months to really unpack and figure out where the holes are. If you got a thousand employees at your company, it could potentially a year before you're, it's what I've, I've seen the best enablement teams basically be an internal R and D department where they're sifting through data. They're, they're not optimizing things yet. They're not, they're, they're, they're literally doing research inside of the organization to figure out what needs to be improved upon, but then not just raising their hand and raising the flag. It's then developing in the strategy to then execute on those things, defining what good should look like. Then the exit plan from that plan to know, okay, if this isn't working, here's how we're going to adjust. Where I've seen most enablement teams fail is they treat it like an internal support team. They demand that results and actions are taken care of within three to four weeks and that there's a new thing all the time. It's like, well, that's how organizations fall apart. That's how you get disorganized, unfocused. When you get people that change their messaging and positioning in their product every three to four months because something's not working because they don't understand their ideal buyer. They don't know. And it's really unfortunate because if we don't have more patience, if we don't have a better site on time horizons to deliver, if we don't take ourselves out of the conversation and lean on our specialists, the, you know, the, the onion peeler person you mentioned, if we don't focus more on people that can do that and trust them, like you were talking about trust and credibility, we're just going to continue, continue following the same path. We're just going to make it worse. We're going to dump more money in organizations and create more jobless experts because we didn't take the time to understand their trust. And one, one last thing on my perspective on trust, 
I've found from my, my experience, my, my own coaching and, and therapy journey in life is that when I'm lacking trust, it's because I don't trust myself in the moment. I don't trust myself because my lack of experience in this specific area of whatever I'm doing. And so it, it takes a lot of people deep self-awareness to understand, okay, I'm struggling to trust that the outcome is possible with that this person is talking about. Why do I lack that trust? They've checked all the boxes. They've done the research. They've done their expert. We've hired them because of this. Why do I still struggle with that? They haven't had a safe space to play and break things. They haven't had an opportunity to incubate and realize, have that self-actualization. This is why I'm so passionate about onboarding. Like this is the, the hill I want to live and die on because that critical first impression within a given organization, did you know that over 91% of new hires will ask themselves, subconsciously or consciously within that very first week of starting at a new job. Oh my God, did I make a big mistake? And it's because that first impression, did they give them confidence and assurance that they have a safe space to find their own voice and unlock their own excellence as quickly as possible? Spoiler alert, it's usually absolutely not. So this is this is my baby project. My my one thing, and it's the very first thing I teach when I build onboarding programs. So I typically do it via immersion. So over the course of where most companies will hodgepodge together enablement and, and call it like, oh, here's 30 minutes with your manager next week, Thursday, and here's an hour over here. I like to do an incubation where we boot camp and we literally pray and we play with and break things. I'm sorry, I like sometimes... I say multiple words at the same time. What's energy over here? But it's it's the one thing I love to do is give people a safe space. And within that very first hour, Dwayne, do you know the first thing we talk about? The critical importance of why. Not just the why behind a given product or service that we're supposed to invest in our career home and go to bat for day in and day out, as well as the customer's why. What do they care about? What's at stake if they don't hit their goals and objectives, but also their own why. I'm trying to coach to self-awareness and self-actualization because without that, it doesn't matter how good the enablement structure is that I build for you. I can build everything around an individual contributor. But the one thing that I can't develop is self-awareness. I'm trying to coach to it as much as I possibly can within that very first hour and build off of that foundation because it's then and only then that you're going to be able to tell whether someone's really going to be able to sink or swim in any given environment. So that's it also kind of takes me back one layer deeper. That enablement, it doesn't just touch the employees that we have today within a given organization, you also have to be keepers of the culture. You have to know what a great hire is going to look like, who's going to be someone who's self-aware enough, because that's what I hire for. I hire for intangibles. I hire for, tell me about something that you really failed from. What did you learn from it? And how does that shape you moving forward? It's when you understand a lot of the unquantifiable, the quality stuff that we're really not gauging for those performance behaviors, by the way, when you understand that criteria, you're going to know whether or not you've got good people to go through that onboarding boot camp, that cohort, right? So, anywho, off my soapbox. No, that's great. At the onboarding, I always tell them when I'm working with early stage founders and they're trying to hire teams, I'm like, you need to dial in those first two months, at least those first two months. And most people are like, oh, we've got a, you know, we've got onboarding. I'm like, what does it look like? Oh. Well, they spend if they can't if they can't give you a detailed description of what the, at least the first month looks like, then they don't have it figured out. But without me describing it, what would be a maybe top four or five things, or what does your framework look like for like if 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 a, if a founder is listening to this, or even if someone who's interviewing for a job, what are some 
bullets, topics, if there's a top five, top three, 10, like what would be the things that they need to do to have a robust onboarding? And then on the flip side, if I'm interviewing a company to be an employee for them, what are the things I need to look for in their onboarding? Wow. Such a good question. Thank you for that. So number I'm curious. one, I'm learning. In order, hey, I love it. I am here for it all. Like you are preaching to my guts here. I could have this conversation with you all day. Just FYI. So in my humble opinion, everything starts with why everything starts with, with what is the foundational issue that you're looking to solve and who cares about this most stop leading with your product. Stop leading with how cool you are, or how cool you think you are. Don't show me your Gartner report. I didn't ask for no one cares about that. You are only going to alienate your customers. So the very first thing you need to do is the critical importance of what's at stake. If this problem goes unresolved, that's layer one layer two, sales psychology. How are we making sure to speak the language of the customer? How are we going to make sure we're in lockstep with them, their world, buyer centricity? Why do we stop trying to take people through our customer journey map? Because I guarantee you, no buyer who wants to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on our software wants me to just take them through our cookie cutter generic process. They kind of want to feel special, right? They probably want us to understand what their life is like, their buying process, their journey. So I would really want to help align what does an exceptional sales cycle look like in the eyes of our buyer, the stakeholders who are all of the people involved? How do we meet and exceed expectations and really give them so much value, an abundance of value that they would be foolish to go anywhere else? So that's pillar number two, critical importance of why, how do we layer on what really good sales psychology looks like? Once you understand that, now you're going to know how to be able to talk to our customers. So now you have to know who the players are. Who are going to be your D's, your I's, your S's, your C's? Who are going to be your champions? Who are going to be your decision makers? Aligning all of this really great stuff and turning it into a talk track. That's pillar four. Now that you understand the why, the critical importance, the underlying core motivators, you understand who the buyers are. Now I want you to play and break things. I want you to try within one or two sentences, succinctly, educate me on the critical issue that you're looking to solve through the eyes of one of your core buyers. Who are they? What do they care about? Once you take me through that, you're going to be able to walk me through any given objection that they might have. You'll be able to get ahead of the objection. You'll be able to tell me exactly what life is like in their shoes. I want you to get as close to that customer as you can. I want you to tell me who their buying committee is. I want you to show me what value is going to be looking like over the course of the entire transactional relationship and then post sales. What does the long-term partnership strategy look like? And I think that that is pillar five, the entirety of the journey. How do we bring tools and tech into the equation so that we can accelerate time to value. We need to stop thinking that tools and tech are taking our jobs from us. They're not. Our job is to have tools and tech work with us to accelerate the value that we're providing in every single relationship that the robots can't take from us, at least not yet. So I think that that's probably a good, you know, high level on some of my pillars. I have a nine pillar framework, but you said three to five, so I'm going to give you five. There's some other stuff in there. But then from the perspective, I think the other thing that you asked about, Dwayne, was what should a buyer or I'm sorry, a seller rather, looking to come aboard a company when they start to ask questions about what does their onboarding program like? I want you to be as specific as possible. So if I'm in your shoes and I'm looking to become an AE at any given company, I want you to ask as many specific questions 
about their onboarding process as you possibly can. Ask me about how the cohorts are deployed. If there's a cohort, are they going to be educating you as a one-off? If they're educating you as a one-off, how frequently are you being engaged with? Who's the subject matter experts that you're going to need to tap? I need you to be a really great seller in that. And again, guys, sales isn't just a transactional relationship. Please remember that sales is literally a meeting of the minds within any given relationship. So I need you to be a good seller and discover as much as you can about their onboarding process. Because guys, I'm telling you, that's going to be the hill that you live and die on in your career within that company. If they don't equip you for excellence and invest their time and attention and truly help you unlock your potential, find a better path, find a better business that is worthy of your talents. So I want you to discover as much as you can about the granularity of their onboarding process. What does excellence look like? What are the milestones they expect you to accomplish and how quickly? What are they going to take in order to help you get there? The biggie, in my opinion, sales and, and please disagree with me if you have a difference of opinion. So many people th think that proper training and education is me talking at you. I might have a big mouth at times. My job is to have much bigger ears than I do a mouth. And yes, my ears are actually just as big as my mouth, if not bigger, which I know is surprising from a former professional opera singer, right? But I, I think that you have to remember that sales is a performative skill meaning that someone talking at you, someone giving you true or false questions in, you know, in a docibo or a brain shark, it, you can't disenfranchise the performative aspect. You have to be able to engage with people in real time. You have to be able to respond to any given stimuli that someone gives you. I have to be able to practice and role play with you given an onboarding process. The more I try and make this process as close to what's going to be like in the field, you know, it's, it's the whole reason why any given baseball team or even football team for that matter, what do they do before they take the field? Batting practice, throwing practice, they throw and catch, they practice their field goal kicks. If you are not taking the time to surround yourself with as immersive of an environment as what you're actually going to encounter in the field, I bet your bottom dollar, you're likely going to stumble and stumble a lot. And it's going to cripple your confidence. Then your ego is going to go out the door and you're going to start having sales managers start to like grind on you a bit because now all of a sudden you're in the hot seat and it's just a really bad, vicious toxicity cycle. So the best thing you can do if you're a seller is make yourself a perpetual student of the craft. Choose excellence every day. It is a discipline. Choose. It's one of the first things I tell people. Oh, that was one of the other pillars I forgot to tell you about is I want you to time block what a successful day looks like. I want you to be able to show me how you're going to invest in your time, how you're going to put guardrails around your time. One of those five pillars, I break down every single job description into the top five you need to do every single day. The number one on every single person's list, I'm hoping, is practice and role play. What are you doing to level up your craft? That's what's going to take you to being exceptional, no matter what it is that you choose to do. So, I hope I answered all the questions. I, I wanted to make sure I did them justice, but I probably talked way too much. So no, you're 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 fine. I mean, the the practice and role play part was really good because I I feel and this is a topic that's come up on many episodes of this podcast where the practice and role play mentality escapes people the moment they graduate college. They you know it, even if they're been in sports their entire lives, it's it's not like you 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 get on the starting lineup and then show up on Friday night with the lights on and you instantly know how to perform if you've never practiced it in your life like you and then as you get older and then you start becoming 
more skilled and get on professional teams, you know, using sports as an analogy, even restaurants or, you know, the, the arts and theater, you don't just show up on stage one day and sing opera. Like there's stages of practice and execution and focus on quality you have to go through. But then all of a sudden people get in their roles, whether it's marketing, engineering, product, like even engineering, they have to constantly be honing their skill sets, getting better and learning, getting better and learning because of the technologies that are continuing to come out. They always have to upskill themselves. If an, if a software engineer is still doing the same level of engineering and code work that he was doing 10 years ago, I'd be, I'd be surprised if he still has a job and same thing, but what, but in say, right. But in sales, customer facing roles, support, success, whatever, there's still a huge struggle on what, what you said, which is that practice and role play side. They think they can just show up at nine o'clock, clock in, dial the phone and clock out at five and, and make their quota and be, yeah, it's like, you can't, you have to be constantly honing, honing your success. To quote one of my friends, Roderick Jefferson, who I'm sure you must also follow on LinkedIn, hope it's not a strategy. No, it is not. So as I say, with that being said, I know we've gone over, I was late to the call. We went over a little bit, so I appreciate the time. If there's any leading or any comments, last thoughts that you'd want people to just remember, stick in their brain, get it tattooed somewhere, like what would that be? To distill all of the value I wish to impart into the world into a single soundbite. Here we go. Don't forget good, fast, and cheap. It's the number one question that you can ask anyone. Every single relationship is an equitable exchange of energy, meaning that no one's higher than, lesser than. You're both on the same fundamental playing field. And then the solo question you need to know in order to unlock potential is what do you prioritize? Going back to core motivators, going back to the why stuff, right? Do you prioritize good, fast, or cheap? Why? How are we going to collaborate, work together? We are on the same team. It is not adversarial. Relationships aren't me versus you. It's we. The answer is always we. So understanding what those core motivators are, what really makes you tick, what are you ultimately looking to accomplish, and why, 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 to quote my daughter. It's her favorite word right now is mommy, but why, mommy, but why, right? If you can focus on what's at stake if understand why someone cares the way that they do care if it's good fast cheap whatever it happens to be honor that build a collaborative discourse and move together and don't just think about what you're experiencing today what happens for you today isn't good enough for tomorrow what is going to be the long-term strategy to be able to open up that solution over over perpetuity. I mean, we're, we're likely in the business, hopefully of long-term lasting relationships. Don't just think about what excellence looks like today. What's it look like in perpetuity? There was probably far too many things. No, that was great. Soundbite there, but it's hard to encompass so much sound <laughs> advice and experience into, you know, a single sentence, but with that, we'll mic drop it on that one. So where could people get more of Sarah Filippiak? Sure. Honestly, guys, I, I don't have a website or anything. I, I guess I'm not cool enough yet, but you can find me on LinkedIn. I am someone that I utilize my LinkedIn as an opportunity to level up the profession that I love. So feel free to follow me. It is just Sarah M. Filippiak is my handle. But every day I share thought leadership. I share advice. I share practice environment, you know, to just brainstorm and exchange ideas with other thought leaders in the space. I'm a big proponent that if you're not growing, you're shrinking. So invest a few moments in yourself to level up every single day and feel free to ask me anything. I'm an open book and I genuinely am here to help. So feel free to ask me anything. And if you've got an idea of something you'd like to deep dive on, I literally post about it every single day. I had a friend from Chili Piper reach out to me last week and say, hey, you know, now that everything is going through the CFO in 2023, 
now that we have to razzle dazzle probably 10 more stakeholders in any given you know piece of SaaS sales, how do we bring together that meetings of the mind? I put together a talk on it immediately the next day. So don't be afraid to ask for questions around enablement. I will answer them publicly. That's great. And I'll link your LinkedIn in the show notes so people can get to that pretty easily. So Sarah, I super appreciate your time today. We got into some really good stuff. Hopefully people are able to get value from this. And so, yeah, I appreciate you being here and hopefully we can improve the enablement and just the perspective that people have on getting better at companies. I appreciate it. Dwayne, I could have talked to you all day. Thank you so much for <laughs> all the value. I'm not kidding. This is not me kissing ass here. Seriously, the, the, the caliber of people and the thought leadership you yourself have, it's really commendable. And I think that that's what we're here to do in this one life that we've got is to be able to share and build something bigger than ourselves. So hats off to you because the legacy that you do for our community is the whole reason I agreed to be here. So thank you again. I appreciate that. And to on that, like one of the things I feel like we're lacking in a lot of it's, it's just curiosity. I think there's, there's too much self-promotion on things and people just giving advice on things rather than, you know, seeking to help. And the problem is, is we have less seeking and more helping, which ends up just being a whole bunch of advice thrown at people. And so I've always been a naturally curious person. So a lot of times these podcasts are for me where I just get to jot down notes, think of different things and develop things and, you know, put them out in the world. So I, I appreciate all your experience and knowledge you brought today. My pleasure. Thank you again. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Selling SaaS Podcast. And if you got value from today, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. 